So this morning, we are in week six of our summer message series, and we've called this series Grow. So for June and July, we're focusing on some of the important aspects of our faith journey. And my prayer throughout this entire series has been um, that every message every week would be encouraging for you, but it would also uh, challenge you in your faith to take that next step in your walk with Christ. Um, so over the past five weeks, we've talked about things like what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And we talked about the importance of reading God's word regularly. And I've actually had conversations uh, with many of you saying that you've read through the book of John, that you're, you're starting to see things you've never seen before, and now you're encouraged uh, to go other places in God's word and start reading. It's just been so encouraging. I'll tell you, for me, that's what it's all about. Are people getting in God's word, growing in their relationship with Christ? That's what it's all about. Uh, we've also talked about how you and I are called to support one another in our Christian walk. Um, we weren't created to do this life alone. We were created to have others walk with us uh, through the storms of life, through the good seasons, the, the bad, and to walk through this, this Christian walk together. We talked about how prayer is a gift from God, how it's a partnership with God. And then last week, we talked about dealing with the doubts that we have in life. And I gave the, the definition for doubt that doubt is the gap between our current faith and perfect faith. And if that's the case, every single person here this morning, we're going to have doubts in our faith. Amen? We're going to. You can nod. It's okay. We can, we can talk about those things in church. We can ask questions. That's okay. We're going to have doubts in our faith. Um, but it's what we do with those doubts that matter. You know, do we allow them to take root and just control our lives, or do we take them to Jesus and allow him to help us through that doubt, to grow our faith step by step? So these are some important aspects of our faith journey. And today we're going to continue our series by talking about what I believe is an extremely important aspect of our faith, but it's also not talked about and maybe even overlooked in the church at times. Um, today we're going to talk about the topic of friendship. So personally, I don't know if there's ever been a topic in the local church that's as important while at the same time as overlooked as the topic of friendship. I'm reading a book on friendship right now, and you might think that, that's kind of an odd topic. It's, you know, it's kind of a weird topic or you know, something to preach about, but um, I'm finding my eyes are just being opened to this wonderful gift that God's given us of friendship. And in this book I'm reading, uh, Made for Friendship, uh, pastor and author Drew Hunter, he says that we don't think or talk about this topic in church today because we don't think that we need to. And as a result, friendship is one of the most familiar yet forgotten relationships in our day-to-day. -day. It's so familiar because everybody knows what a friend is or what a friend is supposed to be. We all have friends in our life, but we don't talk about it very much, and it becomes forgotten in the DNA and the culture of who we are as the church. He goes on to say that many people don't realize that they're missing two of the greatest joys in life. Number one, walking with others in true friendship, and two, knowing Jesus as our greatest friend. You know, having genuine friendships is so important in our lives. It's so important in our Christian walk. In fact, God's word offers priceless wisdom for how you and I can build and maintain the kind of friendships that he's created us to have. You know, I, don't, I think we don't talk about this topic very much because somewhere along the way, our view of what it means to be a friend is, has gotten diluted or watered down in the culture that we live in. You know, nowadays, and I think if you're anything like me, you can relate to this, 
a friend is going online and liking someone's Facebook page. <laughs> you know, a, a friend is, is going and following someone's Instagram account. It, if true friendship has been reduced to brief conversations or maybe the occasional family vacation photo that we see and we like it online, church, I think we're in a lot of trouble because that's not what God intended friendship to be about. That's not what he created us for. Those things are great. I have a Facebook account. I'm probably on it too much. You can ask my wife after the service, and she'll probably agree with that. But, you know, if friendships in our lives have been reduced to that, that's not God's plan or design. It's supposed to be much deeper than that, more intimate than that, more purposeful than that. that scripture paints a very clear picture for how you and I were made for friendship. We were made for friendship and for experiencing a kind of joy that's only found in Christ. You know, we talked about that during our uh, Beatitudes series, how regardless of what's going on in our lives, uh, happiness, a, a true joy that's found in Christ, that's not circumstantial. That's based on who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. You know, these two purposes that God's given us in life, and we have many more than these two, but these two purposes that God's given us, uh, friendship and joy, I believe they belong together. You could even say that God gave us the first, friendship, in order to experience the second, joy. Because friendship is a primary way that we experience true joy in this life. See, friendship isn't something that we just made up somewhere along the way. It's ingrained in who we are. Uh, to be connected in community, to be connected with one another, to serve alongside one another, to bear burdens together, to pray for one another. Um, to, as our family grows, to gl grow alongside other families. It's something that we were created for. Friendship is a gift. It's a gift from God. You know, faithful Christian men and women who have gone before us, uh, many years before us, have also shared this biblical view of friendship. Um, Augustine, you'll know the name, uh, the great theologian and early church father, he preached these words in a sermon. So this is many years back. I love this. He says two things are essential in this world. He didn't say two things are important or, you know, you might value these two things. Augustine said two things are essential in this world, life and friendship. Both must be prized highly and not undervalued. So you have this, this pastor, this man of God, putting friendship in the same context as life itself. I mean, how important must this be? Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American pastor, he said this, friendship is the highest happiness of all moral agents. Friendship is the highest happiness of all moral agents. And then Esther Edwards Burr, this is Jonathan Edwards' daughter, and, and the mother of our third U.S. vice president, she wrote these words, nothing is more refreshing to the soul except communion with God himself than the company of a friend. And then the last one, I just love this. Uh, John Newton, the slave trader turned pastor and also the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. These are his words. I think to a feeling mind, there is no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship. Church, friendship is important. Would you agree? You can say, oh, yeah, this morning. <laughs> Friendship's important. These individuals and many more throughout history have highlighted the importance of experiencing true friendship in our day-to-day -day lives. You know, Jesus, the best friend we could ever have, knows what we really need in this life to feel known, cared about, and loved. And that's why I believe God gave us this wonderful gift of friendship. 
So my prayer today, my prayer all week has been that this message would help the church value true friendship. That this message would help us understand the qualities of what makes up true and authentic friendship. And that this message would help us be the kind of friend to others that God is calling us to be. Let's pray about these things and then we're going to dive into the text today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be uh, maybe a turning point in many of our lives today. And we know that friendship is, is valuable. We know that it's good for our lives, but that we would value it in the place that it's supposed to be valued, that we would see it as a gift from you, that we would understand the qualities that make up a true friend. And then as we talk about those qualities or those attitudes today, uh, God, that we would apply those to our lives and we would be the kind of friends that you've called us to be to others. Lord, this is ultimately for your glory. When we uh, have true friendships with others, when we have authentic friendships, and that brings glory to your name, and it's for the good of your people. We thank you, and we pray only in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there with me this morning. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, just to give us some context today. And then we're going to focus more specifically on verses 2 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphone, your tablet, you can also follow along on the screen this morning. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. Let's follow along together. Paul says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So he's asking the church these questions, and if we would say yes, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So chained up in a Roman prison, the Apostle Paul penned this letter to the Christians in Philippi. This is where he had established a church with some of his own ministry friends. So he wasn't alone in this endeavor. And Paul was extremely close to the Philippians because this church, this group of people, had encouraged Paul uh, during the storms of life. They'd encouraged him when, t when times were rough. But they were also living out a sincere faith in Jesus. We've talked about that a little bit as a church. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Well, having a relationship with Jesus is having a personal and sincere faith in who Jesus is. It's not your parents' faith. It's not maybe going through the motions of, of the, the routine and, and the, uh, the, the track that you went through growing up. Having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus is what it's all about. So this second chapter of Philippians begins by focusing on some of the important attitudes that all Christians are called to have. 
Every single person here today is called to have these attitudes. And Paul reminds readers that the way Christians treat one another is so important. It really does matter. And he encourages us to put other people and their needs first rather than being individuals, families, a church that's self-focused. And he challenges us to have the same attitude or attitudes as Jesus, living a life of service towards others. So Paul wraps this section of Scripture up by reminding the church that Jesus, number one, is who he says he is, and that our greatest sense of joy and satisfaction in life is found in living our lives the way that, that God has created us to live, in a way that glorifies God. And this makes perfect sense when you realize that Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell, but from the overflow of a place of joy. I mean, isn't that crazy? That someone could have joy in a situation like that. You know, I don't know what you're going through today, what you're dealing with, what you walk through these doors with, but we have to be reminded today that joy is not found in our circumstances. Amen? Paul reminds us that you can be in the lowest of lows and you can still have a joy that is untouchable by the world. So verses 2 through 5, this is really the focal point of, of Paul's letter and this overflow of, of joy. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So verses 2 through 5, we've read this. I'm going to reread this right now. It says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. And then he starts to list these attitudes of Jesus that we're going to talk about today. He says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So these verses, they encourage us to have the same attitudes as Jesus, putting the needs of others above our own. I think the case could be made that when we live our lives this way, it does a couple of things. I think first and foremost, it, it really builds meaningful and lasting relationships and friendships in our lives. When we live the way that God's called us to live. But two, I think when we live this way and we put uh, the attitudes of Christ to work in our own lives, it points other people to Jesus. It can lead someone to Christ. So what I want to do this morning is just break this down. Talk about some of this instruction. Talk about these attitudes that Paul gives us and how we can apply these to our lives today. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this, and that true friends are authentic. When we're talking about true friendship, authentic friendship, the kind of friends that we have in our lives and the kind of friend that God's called us to be towards others, I think the first thing to keep in mind is that true friends are authentic. Think about who you were friends with as a kid. So take your mind back to that place this morning. Maybe that was elementary school, middle school. Maybe you had a really good friend in high school. Um, and think about what made that individual or that group of people um, such a great friend to be around. You know, growing up, uh, one of my best friends is a guy named Joe Rosser, and uh, I might encourage him to listen to this message today. I don't think he follows uh, the messages here, but Joe was one of my best friends growing up. I've known Joe since seventh grade. We've spent so much time together. In middle school, we wrestled together. Um, in middle school and high school, um, we played music together, and then we've just spent a lot of time together, even in college and, you know, when I met Faith. Um, Joe's, Joe has always been a, a part of my life in some way. I think Faith probably calls him the weird Uncle Joe. You know, he's just, he's just that kind of guy. But, you know, we spend a lot of time together. Joe's the kind of guy, and maybe you have someone like this in your life, 
Um, he's always there no matter what I'm going through in life. He's there. He's, he's authentic, and, and, his, and he's true in his friendship. You know, if I needed extra practice in wrestling, he was willing to put in the time uh, to help. If I needed someone to talk to about girlfriend issues in high school, he was there. If I needed someone to talk to when, you know, maybe I got in an argument with mom and dad and I just needed to get out of the house, he was there to hang out. He was there to spend time together. And even though I live 13 hours away now, um, we're still great friends. We, we still talk and, and we know what's going on in each other's life. You know, Joe's friendship reminds me about the important qualities that, that we all value in a friend. He's, he's loyal. He's encouraging. He's generous with his time. And he cares about my interest above his own. If I ever need anything, I know uh, there are a few people in life that I could pick up the phone and they would answer. Um, he usually answers before it even rings. Isn't that weird when that happens? Like, you know what I'm talking about. You call someone, and then they answer the phone, you're like, it didn't even ring. You know, were you waiting by the phone, just waiting for me to call? But um, Joe's that way. Every time I give him a call, he answers before it even rings. It's the weirdest thing. The qualities and the attitudes that Paul lists in verses 2 through 5, they're important in all of our friendships. I think these things go beyond that, too, and they affect all of our relationships in life. Because here, here Paul talks about loving one another. That's what we should be known for. He talks about working together. He talks about being selfless or maybe less selfish. That's probably a better way to talk about that. He, he talks about being humble, caring, and looking out for the interests of others. These are attitudes that we are called to be known by as the church. And I would also say that every attitude that Paul lists here is a characteristic of God himself. And we're called to put that on, to be more like Christ. You know, as followers of Jesus who are called to live like Jesus, our lives should be defined by these attitudes. That's what we should be known for. And I would say while it's good to look for these kind of qualities in the friends that we choose in life, I think it's much more important to be this kind of friend towards others. You know, so many times we have people in our lives that, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, we've chosen to surround ourselves with, and they either build us up or, or they tear us down. They're either encouraging or they're, or they're not so encouraging. And I think too often we think about the choices that other people make. But here, Paul's addressing the church, but I believe this was meant to hit home with us individually, that these are attitudes that we have to examine our own lives and really ask that question, am I living this way for the glory of God and for the good of others? It's important to choose our friends wisely. You know, uh, Scripture talks about the importance of that. As iron sharpens iron, uh, so one man sharpens another. It's important to surround ourselves with the right kind of people. But I think it's more important for you to be the kind of person that God's calling you to be. If we're authentic in our friendships, we adopt the attitudes of Jesus. And living this way will help build authentic and lasting friendships in our lives. True friends are... Authentic. They, they love one another. They work together. They are selfless or are less selfish. They're humble, caring, and they look out for the interests of others. You know, examine your own life this morning. Really ask those questions. Am I that kind of friend towards the people that God's put in my life? Am I a true and, and authentic friend? The second thing we're going to talk about this morning, I think, takes it a step further. All right, we're getting a little bit more personal now. And that is that true friends aren't selfish. True friends aren't selfish. I want you to think of someone that, that really, or think about something that really interests you. All right, this is an interest of yours, but it doesn't really seem to interest many of your friends. So this can be a hobby that you have, maybe you've had for many years. This can be a book series that you love to read and 
not many of your friends really like to hear about it or, uh, you know, hear about where you're at in the book series. It, it can even be your faith. You know, maybe because of work or uh, your surroundings throughout the week, maybe you're surrounded by people who don't really take an interest in your faith. And think about what, what does it feel like to talk about that particular interest with people who don't really care about it as deeply as you do? I'll just speak from a personal experience this morning. It can feel kind of hurtful, you know, when, when you're so into something, when you care about something so much and you bring it up and others just aren't willing to listen or take the time to learn more about it. That can feel pretty hurtful. If you're in a larger group, it can be kind of embarrassing and can even make you feel alienated from a group. You know, as the church, we're called to, to walk arm in arm. We don't have to see eye to eye all the time, but we're called to walk arm in arm. And so many times I think it can feel lonely sitting in the seat on Sunday morning. So when you have an interest and other people don't take an interest in your interest, that can feel um, like you've been alienated from a group in some way. So here's where I'm going with this. You know, when we have a friend that really listens and engages with something that we're passionate about, even if they're not passionate about it themselves, it can make all the difference in the world. My main interest, I, I think it's probably no secret, I love to play the guitar. I love instruments. I love being around music. My wife doesn't necessarily share that passion of mine. But she'll sit and listen for hours. She'll, she'll listen to me talk about guitars. She'll look at guitars with me online. She'll listen to me play the guitar and, and, and sing. She's even taken the time over the years to learn the, the guitar language. I could probably, I won't do this to her because she's not an upfront kind of person, but I could bring her up here this morning, and she could probably tell you every single part of this guitar, from the headstock to the bridge to the strings, the body. She could tell you what the wood is made of and where it comes from. She'd probably tell you, this is weird, but she'd probably tell you to smell the sound hole in there because it smells like fresh wood. It smells so good. It's one of the greatest things. It's like walking into Home Depot, all right? And you're just, you're just you know what I'm talking about. You're just, you're hit with it. And it's like, I just want to live here, <laughs> you know? If you like wood, she could tell you all of those things because she truly, truly cares. You know, husbands, I think we need to take notes this morning because this is a game changer in our marriages. We could learn from our spouses. We can learn from our wives in this example. I've found over the years that um, wives, women, you're so much better at this. And maybe I'm alone. I don't know. But you're so much better in just taking the, the time to put attention into something, to really focus and to give someone the time of day. I, I haven't always been this self, uh, selfless in our marriage and in relationships. Uh, certainly towards her, I haven't. You know, she's an avid knitter. I think we've all established that at this point. You know, she, she's even got a problem. Many, a few of you here do. And sometimes I have a really hard time hearing what she has to say about this passion of hers. I hear it, but I don't really hear it. You know, it goes in one ear and out the other. But I'm slowly learning. You know, the longer we're married, this year we're going on 11 years, and I'm learning that it's important to put away the distractions to purposely focus on her needs and take a genuine interest in her interests. That's what it's about. Learning to take a genuine interest in the other person's interests. Am I perfect at this? On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm like a 2. Okay, I'm not great. Husbands, I understand your pain this morning. I'm not great, but I'm learning. It's, it's one step at a time. You know, my wife is my best friend, and I'm learning that this is one way that we adopt the selfless attitude of Christ in our marriage. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 says, don't be selfish. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others. And what's this word? Thinking of others as, let's say it together this morning, church. It says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. It doesn't say as equal or some days kind of elevating them and, and taking care of their needs. It says, think of others as better than yourselves. True friends aren't selfish. But because, you know, because we're all sinful people, we're going to act selfishly at times. But I believe that God wants us to learn from Jesus how to be less selfish in our friendships, how to be less selfish in our marriages. I love the, the quote from C.S. Lewis. I think he hits the nail on the head. He says that love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. Let that sink in a little bit this morning. This, this is what it means to think of others as better as yourself. Love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. So if that's what this means, or, or at least helps sums it up for us, how do we start to live this way? How do we apply the attitudes of Jesus in our own lives? I want to give you three brief but practical things that you can do today. When you walk out these doors, you can apply these things immediately. You can come back in here next Sunday or give me a call this week and say, Craig, I'm doing it. I'm applying these things. It was practical. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. The first thing, take an interest in your friend's interests. It's very practical. But take an interest in your friend's interest. Decide ahead of time that you're going to take a genuine interest in the other person's interest, even if it's something that you're not really into. Decide ahead of time that you're going to engage in the conversation about their interests and passions and that you're going to give the other person the attention that they need, that they deserve. So take an interest in their interests. Number two, and this is the thing I struggle with more than anything we're going to talk about today, but put away the distractions. Put away the distractions. You know, I think every single person here would agree this morning that we have so many things trying to fight for our attention, so many things trying to steal our time, and so many things trying to rob our lives of true joy today. Yeah, I don't believe that technology is a bad thing. In fact, I think it can be used for the glory of God and for the good of the church. I mean, we use technology this morning in our worship, in preparation. Technology can be an amazing thing. But more times than not, if you're anything like me, you find yourselves using it in a selfish way. And I don't think it was meant to be used like that. You know, we live in a time when we have to purposefully control how we use the things that are fighting for our time fighting for our attention, fighting for our joy, instead of allowing them to control our time. We have to control it instead of allowing it to control us. And for me, being less selfish means putting away the distractions, spending real time with the people who are important in my life. I mean, it's easy. You get home from work and you've had a busy day and you just want to, uh, you know, binge watch The Office or something like that when you get home. And it's easy to have something on the TV and also either have your phone in your hand or a tablet in your lap. And having someone that you deeply care about and love sitting right next to you, you can be two inches away, but you can feel like you're two miles apart. It's important, church, to put away the distractions. Again, she's, she's awesome at this. I'm just going to, like, lift her up this morning, but I'm, I'm horrible at this. You know, I, I really need help in this area. The third thing is this. Remember that authentic and true friendships take time to build. They take time to build. So I like to think about our relationships and our friendships in this way. I like to think of it as a relational savings account. All right, here's what I mean by that. 
every time you're with a friend, every time you're with someone you care about, you have an opportunity to make a deposit into that relational savings account. And just like you might have financial goals in your life, you don't reach your relationship goals overnight. Instead, you invest in the other person and you watch your friendship savings account grow with interest over time. Now, here's something that's common in the church today. And because we're so experience oriented, because we're so feelings oriented, because again, I just think, and again, I'm talking about myself today. We think that this time should benefit me and fill my needs. When in reality, that's not the purpose that God's created for this time. I think what happens is it's very easy to go down a path where we start feeling alienated in the church. And we start feeling like we're less connected. Or we'll even say things like, you know, it's just not really doing it for me like it used to. Here's what I've found over the years, whether it's in youth ministry, talking with families, um, in, in young adult ministry, or even since we've been here. If you're feeling that way this morning, if you're feeling disconnected, there's a couple questions I'd like for you to answer for yourself. Number one, are you in a small group? Are you in a Sunday school class? Are you, are you intentionally um, in a group where you can connect with other people? That's the first question. The second thing is, are you serving? Um, nobody was created to sit on the sidelines. We were created to use the gifts that God has given us and be plugged in, serving God with our gifts, helping the mission of the church move forward. If you answered no to either of those two, I would say that today is a good opportunity to make a change. Because oftentimes when we start feeling like church just isn't what it used to be for us or we're feeling alienated, it's because we're not making the effort to get connected. Because, again, we, sit, we tend to feel like church should be all about meeting my needs, that somebody should come to me. The scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. It's on you. You have to make that next step to get connected. And for some of us, that's easier to do than others because maybe, maybe you're an introvert, and that's okay. I think God created introverts the same way he created extroverts and everything in between. God can use you right where you're at, but you've got to step out in faith and trust that okay, I know this is kind of hard. I don't really like being around people that much, but I'm going to step out and God's going to honor this act of faith. The church was meant to be connected, you know, not alienated from one another. And that comes back to that point that authentic and, and true friendships take time. It doesn't happen overnight. You got to put in the effort. So true friendship, our friends aren't selfish, and we can learn from Jesus to be less selfish. The third and final thing is this, that True friends speak positively about others. This is huge. We've talked about in the past, we can either give life-giving words or, or death-giving words. We can build others up or we can tear them down. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about one of his closest friends. Just a few verses forward in, in Philippians 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul's talking about the young pastor, Timothy. And li listen to this. This is awesome. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me about how you're getting along. See, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. In these verses, Paul is talking about Timothy, and I don't know about you, but when I take a step back, based on this description, I would love to be friends with Timothy. I would love to have a friend like this. I mean, I think Jesus wants us to have these kinds of friendships where we're, we're focused on building each other up. This is the kind of person that Timothy was. 
And if we learn from Timothy's example this morning, we learn a couple of things. That one, a true friend cheers others up. If you're a true friend to someone, you focus on cheering that person up. And that's not just the, you know, the happy, hey, I hope you're doing today. I'm sorry that you're going through a difficult time. I think this is deeper than that. This is walking through life storms. This is uh, sharing life-giving words. This is spending time together. If If you're like Timothy and you're a true friend, you cheer others up. We also learn from Timothy that a true friend cares about the welfare of others. This is praying for your friends, meeting their needs, and helping them grow in their faith. That's a true friend. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Don't be concerned about your own good, but for the good of others. Caring about the welfare of others is thinking about their needs above our own. And then finally, a true friend, based on Timothy's example, serves others. In, you know, in a very selfish society that we live in, and, and I do believe this is a very selfish society, Serving others is a great way to share God's love by meeting people right where they're at. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we apply the attitudes of Jesus in our own life, we focus on serving other people instead of being served. That completely changes the framework of what even this time is about. Is this, is this for me to come and, and be served, or is this for me to come and serve? To be involved, to be engaged, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to contribute in some way. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Serving others means putting your needs aside and meeting the needs of others first. This can be their emotional needs, their spiritual needs, or even their physical needs. This could be helping a friend finish a project at home. Maybe, maybe they're redoing their kitchen or painting a room. This is you giving your time up to go and serve that person. It can even be sitting in a coffee shop and just being a listening ear when someone's going through a difficult season. The point is this. We are called to serve. We're called to serve. We're not called to sit on the sidelines anymore. We're called to be engaged. We're called to be active. And I've found this, from Genesis to Revelation, we don't actually see the word leader show up too often, but we see so many stories where God puts someone in a position of leadership, and here's what you find every single time. If somebody is an effective leader, they are a servant first. If somebody is an effective leader, they are a servant first. So many of you are leaders in in some type of way in this church. You're leading a ministry You're you're a deacon, you're a ministry team leader, you're helping out with with children's ministry, you're on the worship team, you you help with with the landscape, or whatever it is. And I would say that to be an effective leader, to be the person God's called you to be, we're called to be a servant first. Those are the most effective leaders. That's the kind of person that God's called us to be. Effective leaders are servants first. So in wrapping up the message this morning... Um, I thought we'd do something. I think this is going to be awesome. Um, But I've asked uh, April Hankey to come this morning and to just share a personal testimony about friendship in her own life. And I hope this is encouraging for everybody. Um, When she's done, we'll wrap up the the message and then we'll close in worship this morning. So April, if you want to go ahead and make your way to the stage. This is a hard thing to do, so let's give April a hand this morning. Let's thank her for doing this. The floor is yours. (laughs) I want to start by saying I have such love for this community of believers at this church. 
There's something truly special about OCC. I feel God's active work here through us, and I'm often the recipient of that work. It's a pleasure to be able to share how members of this congregation have touched my life through their investment in me through friendship. I am so appreciative of the effort, time, vulnerability, and investment so many of each of you have made in me. It's also one of the best ways I have experienced God and his love. When I begin to look at the relationships God has brought together in my life, I see the intentions in his actions. These are a few examples of what I'm talking about. 28 years ago, I met Harold and Bonnie Niles. I see smiles around the room because so many of us were touched by them. When I started to attend this church, they adopted our children as their own grandchildren because we didn't have family near. They invited us into their home to be part of our, their family. Bonnie and Harold started Bible studies with Bruce and I. They helped lead each of us to our decision to be immersed and to raise our children to know the Lord. They provided an example of what a Christian family truly is, and they will always be an inspiration for Bruce and I. Eileen Daly first became my weekly study buddy as we read a secular book and then applied God's word to the text. She took on the mission of our family by ceaselessly praying for Bruce and I and our children. She supported our children's growth through trips to the Dominican. She started a mother-daughter Christian book club with my family in mind and helped with our youth education here at church that my children benefited from. I called her my positive manipulator friend because she encouraged me to become a better Christian through gifts she saw I possessed. And then there were the Graces, a group of church women who met and discussed books that we realized we needed to study for our own Christian growth. Weekly, we found ourselves challenged and often exhausted by the discussion and new knowledge we walked away with and ultimately were responsible for. We were vulnerable with each other in ways I will always treasure. It's hard to qualify the value of relationships when others accept and love you when you are unlovable and, and you're not able to accept or love yourself. In 2010, I was admitted for treatment for obsessive-compulsive um, obsessive disorder at Rogers Memorial Hospital. My OCD was a result of me being convinced my daily actions or inactions were bringing harm to others. The year prior to that hospital admission was the hardest of my life and made those who lived with me equally miserable. I was so exhausted by my constant need to satisfy my own compulsions that I lost all contact with reality and God. I had lost the ability to pray. I had to rely on others to get through each day. 
prior to my admission, um, Mara May and my husband were the ones who stuck by my side when no one in their right mind would have wanted to be near me. Once I was admitted to the hospital, God provided a new friend, a Christian staff member who openly shared her faith with me. She took me to church each week, gave me daily devotions, and prayed for me when I could not. Through all the support God was sending me, I began to feel hope. I felt God's presence, and I was able to begin to pray and read scripture again. It was the beginning of my recovery. It was also the beginning of a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Jesus. Each of these friends were selfless in their love. They invested in me, met me where I was at a time, and also challenged me to see God's plan for my life. Romans 12.5 states, In Christ, we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Galatians 6.2 tells us, Bear one another burden, burdens, so, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God has provided me with a priceless gift of friendship in this congregation. He has allowed me to see him through those he has sent. I thank you. There's some new faces here uh, within the past couple of months, over the past year. Uh, many of you have been worshiping and attending here for many years. And uh, wherever you're at on the spectrum, I just want to let you know that there's an opportunity to get connected. You know, we were created for the glory of God, and we were created to, to do life with other people, to grow together. Uh, throughout the week, we've got groups meeting. I know right now you're, there's a, a young women's group that's meeting, and uh, I know that uh, Faith or um, Kelly could give you more information on that. Um, there's, uh, we have a, a young men's group that meets. We have Sunday school classes. Um, there's small groups that meet during the week. Uh, this fall on Wednesday nights, um, we're trying to bring the whole church back together again uh, with our Wednesday night programs. Um, we're going to have kids' activities going on. We're going to have at least two or three different options for small groups to, to just build relationships, to, to find ways to serve together and grow together. So it, wherever you're at in, in your faith journey, I believe that God wants you to get connected. You know, if you've been coming and, and maybe being a spectator for a while, and that's okay. I think that God has us in those seasons from time to time, but I also believe that there's a time to get, get plugged in. There's a time to start growing in relationship with others. You know, two of life's greatest joys are walking with others in true friendship and knowing Jesus as our greatest friend. We were made for friendship. I truly believe that God wants us to thrive in these relationships. So as we go our, our separate ways today, um, remember these important truths that we talked about today. That number one, true friends are authentic. This is adopting the attitudes of Jesus in our own lives and, and being that to others. Uh, true friends aren't self, uh, selfish. You know, they, this is thinking about yourself less, thinking about others more. And true friends speak positively about others. You know, this is a good time to think about who am I surrounding myself with? You know, when I'm there, am I around complainers or people that really help build uh, build my life and help me grow in Christ? And am I being the same for, for others? This is cheering others up, caring about their welfare, and serving others sacrificially. 
So this is my charge today. You know, let's be the let's be the kind of church that holds tight to a biblical view of friendship. Let's value the friendships that God has given us in our lives and let's seek to glorify God in those friendships.